Welcome to the Harper's Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the web editor. As we are encouraged to wear masks and rubber gloves for trips to the grocery store, traveling freely, especially for pleasure, has become a distant memory. In the April issue, the Jamaican poet Ishian Hutchinson describes his visit to Lalabella, Ethiopia, which is in turn a dreamlike travelogue and a critical personal and global history. Situated near the Semian Mountains, Lalabella is home to multi-story churches from the 7th through the 13th centuries that were carved entirely out of rock. These breathtaking houses of worship are among the holiest sites for Ethiopia's Coptic Christians, and the churches and Ethiopia itself hold sway over Hutchinson, who was raised as a Rasta. In this episode, Hutchinson describes the process of writing the piece, as well as the intricacies of memory, travel, religion, and art. Well, I guess I'll start with this question of how Ethiopia and Jamaica interact with each other historically and to the present day, because Africa has this really Africa as a continent as a whole, has this really interesting um, relationship to African diaspora pop culture. People like James Brown inspired tons of rock bands in places like Ghana, all over the continent, really. And of course, James Brown was using African musical traditions to create his music. So this is just a long way to introduce this point. Um, what was it like to experience the celebration and reconfiguration of Jamaican culture and Jamaican cultural figures in Ethiopia? It was very surprising to, to have seen that. I, I, I had a good idea because I had encountered Ethiopian culture in New York City, for instance, when I first moved here in 2006. So I wasn't quite a stranger to seeing Ethiopians uh, interacting with Jamaican culture in, in the diaspora. But uh, I didn't know the extent to which the Jamaican culture, popular culture, was such a, a major part and is a major part of the um, the ground in, in Addis Ababa, for instance. Particularly, I didn't see as much in other places. In, in Sashamani, certainly, the, the, the kind of transplanted Jamaican environment was certainly present. But in Addis Ababa, it was surprising just walking down the street and hearing cars playing Jamaican music loudly or going into a, a store and hearing on the radio um, reggae music or different kinds of Jamaican music. And so that obviously made me feel at home. And so there was a sense of at-homeness um, immediately, and it it alleviated any feeling of uh, of being a stranger. Uh, there was this a sense of intimacy that was, you know, there for me uh, because of this sort of cultural exchange and associations that were just a, a regular part of living in Addis Ababa, particularly. So. At homeness in an intensely intimate way, mm -hmm. I would say, was the, the kind of feeling. So speaking of that cultural exchange, can you briefly talk about how Lalibela itself fits into Rastafarianism? Because you mentioned that the names of former capitals of 
what was the Abyssinian Empire, like Gondor and Akshum, are used in Rastafarian chants. Yes. So there is no direct correlation as such. There, there's this almost mystical connection one would one could say uh, of the way that Rasta and and the the Coptic Church uh, relate. When I went to Lalibela, again, the way in which uh, certain things that I grew up around in Jamaica was just just present uh, in the colors of the of the the cloth, for instance, the flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that, that was, you know, you'd see everywhere in, in, in Lalibela, the red, gold, and green, and so on. So these these sort of very familiar symbolic things were just a- around. Uh, but in terms of the uh, of how much the Christian Coptic religion of of Ethiopia influenced the spiritual development of Rasta, it's hard to locate in exact terms, what that influence is. So, you know, I, I, I'm hesitating to say beyond the, you know, the, the superficial symbolic, right, mm-hmm. of, of, say, the way in which Rasta colors are directly drawn from um, the Ethiopian flag, for instance. But because there, there were no Ethiopian church missionaries in Jamaica, in the 30s, instructing the Jamaicans on the, the Ethiopian religion. Uh, so everything that emerged uh, from Rasta is a sort of a imagining itself into this otherness, mm-hmm. this uh, liberation theology, really. So it was for the people who became Rasta a site of spiritual liberation that had to be uh, imagined. Right, so in the the practice of Coptic Christianity didn't exist. Later on, in the in the eighties, I believe uh, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church was established in Jamaica, and Rastas attended the the church. Um, but the practice of Rasta had already predated the coming of the church, and so Rasta continued in in the way it originated and pretty much separate from the practice of of Coptic uh, uh, Christianity. Right. There are different influences in Ethiopia, right? Because there's a significant Muslim population, there's the Coptic Christian population, and then there's a very small community of Jews, uh, and obviously uh, Haile Selassie is descended from the Solomonic dynasty, which is fascinating. Yes. Um, But I wanted to go back a bit because I mean the way you write about Lalabella is almost like the experience of being there and also and it also gets at this what you were saying before about how Rasta is this kind of spiritual fusing of these two different things and so your piece is so vivid but you took this trip five years ago in 2015 so what mm-hmm. was challenging to consult, you know, five-year-old memories, and what was that process like? Well, luckily, I kept um, a journal of the trip. While there, I, I wrote a lot and and wanted to preserve as accurately as I could uh, the things I, w- I was experiencing because it, you know, it was just so moving, mm-hmm. and 
I knew I was coming from a place of arriving there, not only for myself, but to put it somewhat in, you know, in a loftiest way, um, arriving there with these voices from my childhood um, that desired to have gone, but never made it. You know, Ethiopia as this sort of um, the paradise that um, one would hope to arrive at in Rasta isn't only a, a paradise as, you know, the, the afterlife, but the a hope of arriving there in this life and so on. So that desire w- w- was a major reality that existed in my childhood, uh, but it was a desire that was never fulfilled for a lot of people. Right. So in a sense, you know, out of my writerly instinct of wanting to um, to solidify that experience through writing, I kept uh, numerous notes. But it's also the way that memory works, of course, that uh, some things uh, at the moment of making a note about it, I couldn't necessarily put down But at that moment. But when I started to 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 draft a piece, I, I don't know, the floodgate of memory opened up and so much of what I didn't even put down in the notes uh, returned to me. Um, so it was obviously challenging to arrange the the memories into something that holds up and has a, a flow to it, a narrative shape. Mm-hmm. But the presence of memory superseding the the record that I, the, you know, the, the diary that I kept certainly helped to at least make the material present to myself. Right. And I mean, so much is reflection, you know, because we see something yes. and then we can only understand it later. And this piece does a wonderful job of that, too. Um, Thank you. You know, you write about touching the surface of one of the churches and you describe feeling a sort of charge that seems connected with or inspired by the story your guide has just told you about the angels who had worked on the church, you know, worked to build the churches at night. Then you say, I felt this not because of any religious conviction, but through the poetic act. And then later you refer to the poetry as quote, what you live in and for. So not to be too obvious about what's already there on the page, but is poetry in the act of writing sort of a religious expression for you? And how do you view its relation to the Rastafarian faith? You know, what you were describing earlier. Right. Well, there is, for me, something sacred about writing and, and even div- divine. I am a stickler for something that I believe, if I'm re- remembering this correctly, that Paul Salon said that uh, attention is the natural prayer of the soul, meaning that attention, uh, which is what the, the poet is doing, paying attention to the self and to, and to the world as a form of a divine response and responsibility to that self and world. So f- for me, the poetic act travels a- along that line of, of, of divine um, intense focus. That is not to say that it's limited to the sacred, or or that the sacred is any different from the secular. Uh, the, the, these things are in opposition: the the sacred and the secular. But poetry is 
you know, simultaneity. It is attending to these different poles at the same time, which is, in a sense, that moment of touching the, the, the rock, this ancient edifice, this, this thing that existed since the 12th century, at this moment, touching it in, in 2015. Mm-hmm. That is, a, a, for me, a poetic manifestation you know it to, to me it it is obviously quite simple to 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 have um, experienced um the moment of um of how it happened of just touching a rock but to know that this is something that was there before and will be there after myself but to have encountered it was a moment of elevation and so poetry for me operates um in a similar sense you know, in, in that kind of encounter in, in many different ways, right? Just trying to return to, say, memories of childhood within one one current moment is to really create a double sense of time. And so touching the rock is touching a time long ago and touching a time that, that uh, of the now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting to hear about this part of your pilgrimage to Ethiopia, or it's a pilgrimage of sorts, um, because yeah. the king... I'm still unsure what to call <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it is this transcendent kind of moving thing, um, always moving, yes. always kind of changing. So King Lalibela created this so that he would not have to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so this, this is why these churches were built. And you can see these amazing photographs in the story. These are, yeah. you know, which this is the thing that gets me is that they replicate architectural styles of other places. You know, like if, if, yeah. it, as if yeah. it was built with wood, but it's all done with this flawless, like carved into these rocks. So, yes. I mean, was part of you surprised that you kind of found what you were looking for in this um, in this pilgrimage, or how would you frame kind of beyond the transcendence? Like, did you go into this having an idea of what you would find? Oh no, I, I went not having a clue what I would find. I of course had known about Lalibela and the rock churches all over Ethiopia, not just just in in Lalibela. You know, I, I knew for certain I was going to be encountering something uh, that you know was amazing in 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 many ways that I, I had never experienced before so i was open to that and coming to with the, the background that the piece tries to describe of this sort of um, ethiopia as um this paradisical paradisal future present and future the, the hope that one will make it there in this lifetime but that one will also be there in the other lifetime. So certainly there, there was that background informing the travel and knowing that whatever it is that I'll encounter here, it will be astonishing. But arriving there, just the astonishment grew in ways that, that I, I couldn't have anticipated, you know. And of course, that's the, the, the amazing thing about uh, travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love this notion that Naipaul gave of it once in a very brief 
phrase he just he says travel is inquiry mm. right and what he had meant is not is you know it's not just an inquiry into the past and the present of a place but also the past and present of a self that is mm. in itself you know becoming so to to have arrived at a place with its own past and present bringing my own past and present there not so certain of what I'm in search of, but know that knowing that there is a search happening, all of that sort of multi-layered and meeting of different experiences uh, really help to intensify and amplify the, the moment beyond, as I had said before, any kind of anticipation. So nothing was ever fixed. Mm. It just felt, even now, still um, I am in my Memories going through not just the the moment in Lalibela, but the, the different places I I ended up in Ethiopia, and still feeling as if I'm traveling through those memories and trying to find shape uh, for them. This was surprising for me that that, that that this came out in in prose. You know, I I thought when I was making notes while in Ethiopia in Lalibela. That they that you know in some future time they would take shape in in poems, but I, I can't say why and how prose became the way uh, the to respond to to Lalibela. Maybe of course it it you know there's room to to explore uh, different themes um, in a more sort of analytical way mm-hmm. that. Uh, a poem doesn't always afford you to do. Perhaps that's why there's certainly an urgent need to excavate, you know, the personal narrative of the self arriving in in a place that is so special for this person with this particular background. So maybe writing the piece, I needed to the expansive. Um, exploratory nature nature of of the essay form Mm -hmm. to to do so so that that is one surprise for me too that it took the shape of a of a travel narrative essay rather than a a lyric poem right or even a narrative poem right or a cycle of poems i mean there's so much Uh, there's so much about the experience of travel but specifically in a place like lolabella where there's just just even the feeling of being in the churches is so unique because you're yes. it's like cold, but then there's this mm-hmm. beautiful light coming in and the light just lands perfectly, like exactly where it needs to land through all of the windows, no yeah. matter when you're there. And it's just, and the smell of frankincense and, you know, and the silence, yes, yeah. there's a lot of different things going on. So what was it like to have made this memory and this, this kind of process public? Was it a relief to have it sort of come out in this uh, sort of exploratory form? That's an interesting question, because even though it it is an essay, and and even when one writes a poem and it becomes, it's, I am lucky to publish it and it's now public, I am still the the private poet, Mm -hmm. I guess by nature and sort of the, the poet's personality is one of uh, privacy. And I think completing the essay, it felt 
that it was just the right way to um, look back at the journey and and to 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 see that in fact there's there's so much more to do right so I, I guess I'm seeing this this essay as um, it has sort of completed a cycle you know having gone there then reflecting on it for the piece and so it, it has completed a, a, a cycle in 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 itself in that way but has opened up another another one or many others because I have not yet attended to this journey in the mode that I exist in, you know, meaning I have not yet written about it in, in the form of poetry. So, but the, this essay, certainly the process of writing the essay, um, certainly have given, um, I'm 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 at a loss for word to exactly say what it has done, uh, precisely. Um, but to to have explored the the different tensions of of the traveler, you know, as someone who is arriving uh, to this place that has very special connotations, uh, and having to figure out what those connotations are simply by arriving. So yeah, I I am. Grateful that the piece is written and that it has appeared in Harper's, and I can't have much to add to that than the sort of the gratitude and the thankfulness to to see that it has found a home. Yeah, and then I wanted to end on because you were you know you talk about how the traveler comes with themselves in the present, but then also their own past. And at the end of your piece, you describe this brief encounter with the receptionist of Vera Hotel, who is this boy who dreams of staying in Lalabella and running his own hotel. Um, so there's mm-hmm. like, a, and you describe this complicated, complicated set of feelings in this, you know, in this encounter, because you, you seem to invite a comparison between the boy and yourself, as yeah. if this was a different path you might have taken. So what were you thinking of when you chose this as an ending? Yeah, precisely what you said, you know. Um, I suppose I'm always thinking about what it means, um, what it could have meant to remain at home, just in the Caribbean, even still, for anyone to explore possibilities uh, beyond the limitations of home, it means naturally to leave home, mm. and and that is can be a blessing and a curse, you know. And once one leaves home, it can be that one becomes a sort of exile, right? Even though that word itself, because one chooses to leave home might not be the, the, the exact condition, but one feels like that, like an exile uh, away from home, even when you can return home, uh, you know, one has the means to do so. Nonetheless, to, to, to live outside of home uh, might create a kind of internal longing for home that um, can never be fulfilled because what one is longing for is the 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 home that was, right? The, the the home of childhood, you know, home has sort of traveled on and has uh, moved forward. Mm-hmm. 
but once you're away from it, you sort of become stuck in a in an ideal idealized kind of home that you experienced in childhood and can no longer really return to. But what but what I found fascinating, um, of course, having that conversation with with uh, Amba, uh, that that was his name, was just his that for him to inhabit a sense of purpose, the question of leaving home never played a role in that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, to me that 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 age um, when I was you know living in Jamaica, that question of well at some point. Uh, I would have to think about traveling away from home was pretty clear. It was just self-evident. But for him, living in similar conditions that I lived in, uh, I was very surprised that this wasn't a concern whatsoever. Um, So that he had sort of worked it out uh, for himself, worked out what what his destiny may be was just really wonderful so i wanted to 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 end on that note uh, a note uh, uh, that is optimistic mm. you know a note that well being at home and you know does not need to signify failure or or being trapped whatsoever but in fact that it's you know it is a triumph in itself and to 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 work at home to celebrate home mm-hmm. to make to truly be at peace at home is is a desire that um even the myself in the peace uh is longing for and hoping to one day um achieve you've been listening to the harper's magazine podcast produced by violet luca and andrew blevins the music is Cut and Shoot by Febrifuge. Harper's Magazine is the oldest general interest monthly in America, exploring the issues that drive our national conversation through long-form narrative journalism and essays. To get 12 issues for $21.97, visit harpers.org save.